Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Gadget Reason Station here on Anchor FM. This is the first uh, audio recording for the Gadget Reason Station, and uh, I'm pretty excited to be bringing you guys some content in a new way. Uh, in the past, most of the content that I've produced has been either video based for things like YouTube or written content for blog posts or articles on Medium. So this is going to be the first foray into the audio content production side of uh, delivering content for something in the tech space for Gadget Reason. So I'm going to go ahead and start this first episode and tell you guys a little bit about myself and where I got the idea for the Gadget Reason name and what brought me to this point where I want to help share some of my passion for technology with the rest of the people out there on the interwebs. So interestingly enough, the, the Gadget Reason name or the idea to, to create this Gadget Reason production company or, or, or platform to create content really came from uh, when the original iPad first launched in 2010. Uh, I was one of the first people in line. I had pre-ordered mine and went to pick it up first thing in the morning. And the first thing I thought the first few days of using the first iPad was that this was going to change the way people you know, consume content. And I think for the most part it did. I think that obviously there was a lot of other things that have happened uh, since then or during that same time frame with the way that media gets delivered. But I think that the idea that it was going to sort of put a huge dent in things like published magazines or published syndicated you know, newspapers, things like that, was pretty obvious to me right from the get-go. And so a buddy of mine who knows that I have this huge passion for technology and has always sort of um, pushed me towards doing something with that passion said you know why don't you create something using you know that passion that would pertain to this this product the iPad and so originally my idea was I was going to launch a digital magazine syndication that would be called Gadget Reason and it would be trying to tell people the reasons why they would want a product like the iPad or any other similar tech product and so it was really geared around trying to help people see things in, from the perspective that I share a lot of my thoughts on technology with people that are close to me, my friends, my family, anybody that knows me typically relies on me for my tech opinions and thoughts that I have around, you know, what would be the smartest buying decision to make for their specific needs. And that's something that I've always been really, really good at for my own tech habits. So, you know, I, I'm an, obviously a full-blown tech junkie. I mean, I could probably be you know, checked in for, for psychiatric help with how much I'm obsessed with technology. The, the amount of thought and time I spend researching technology, buying and experimenting with new technology products, gadgets, toys, gaming devices, you name it. Uh, it's, it's really always been a lifelong passion of mine that I'm, I'm very fascinated with technology and what it can do to basically further or improve people's lives or add entertainment value or educate us or inspire us through uh, imagination and so all of those things were things that never really faded from my early childhood all the way on to adulthood and but what I did have to figure out was how can I temper that enthusiasm without you know forcing myself into bankruptcy so being able to buy the products that are going to fit what exactly my need was or my desire was for that product, whatever got me excited about some new uh, television or smartphone or tablet or computer without actually overbuying or buying things that had features and benefits or performance in some cases that I just did not need. And that really would not have added to my enjoyment of that product and certainly by buying maybe the step down version of a product did not take away 
from my enjoyment of that product. And so this was kind of my approach that I started to apply to everything tech-based. And this is what kind of led me to this point where I wanted to be able to share some of my thoughts and philosophies around being a tech enthusiast uh, in a more realistic way with a larger audience. One of the questions that I get asked a lot based on the Gadget Reason name when I started publishing content under that, that banner was that, you know, it sounds like you're always trying to sort of talk yourself out of buying tech products, which is, you know, kind of going against the idea of being this, this self-proclaimed tech-obsessed nerd. And the reality is that that couldn't be further from the truth. I, I actually do buy new products all the time, and, and I'm constantly trying to, to figure out what my next new tech product or upgrade is going to be. The problem that I found was that in often in, in, in a lot of cases, you end up seeing tech specs and reviews for products that have all these great features and specifications attached to them. And a lot of those features, specs, and sort of feature benefits are really there to be marketing hype. And you see it pretty much everywhere. I mean, if you, if you look at um, smartphones is a perfect example. You know, they were going through this what I call pixel pushing phase for a good three or four or five years where it seemed like every three months they were upping the pixel density, upping the, the resolution that you were going to pack onto this little five or six inch screen. And it was getting to be ridiculous. You know, you were having a display that was now, you know, four times more dense than your average television. And you're holding this phone, you know, three or four feet away from your face and it really was overkill. And so features like that are kind of the, the little traps that I try to avoid when I'm looking at tech products. And it's easy to get convinced, you know, it's easy to have so many people saying that, my God, this screen is so gorgeous, you just can't go back. And to the point where you start to really believe it and you think that now looking at a 1080p screen on a 5.8 inch iPhone is, is subpar. And, and you literally see people reviewing the iPhone you know, 7 and giving it a, a knock for only having a 1080p display. But I gotta tell you that even as someone who is a, as obsessed with great displays and I consider myself to be somewhat of a videophile, I, I really find it amusing that people say that the, the iPhone 7 display, even on the Plus model, is, is not sharp enough and that, and that it somehow should have been you know, a, a QHD display or, or a 4K display. I think it's, it's a little bit silly and these are the kind of traps that I really try to avoid. And you really have to ask yourself, is this really something that's going to affect me or, or am I just buying into the marketing hype? And, you know, we're going through that same thing with 4K TVs right now. And, you know, I think when I just recently purchased my, my new 4K TV upgrade, you know, I had a lot of things to consider, not the least of which was that I was coming from an 85-inch display on an HDR projector. So I knew I was going to be taking a step down in size because I certainly can't afford an 85-inch LCD flat panel. Um, so I knew that, that that was going to be something I was going to have to sacrifice with size. And so, you know, when weighing out all the different features and specs that you see when you're comparing HDR 4K televisions to each other, you see a lot of things that, that make you go, wow, you know, I, that sounds really bad. I don't, I don't think I want a TV that only has a 600 nits peak brightness. Not when the Samsung over here has a, you know, 1200 nits peak brightness. That's almost double. That means that, you know, the Vizio is going to look like crap. There's no way I want that television. That's really not the case. And if you, you know, do a lot of the research on your own and if you, if you have the, the ability to actually buy 
two different televisions and bring them both into your house so that you can compare them you know, in your own lighting settings and in your own living room, uh, that can go a long way towards really helping a person convince, convince themselves or be able to see for the first hand that there are certain things that are overkill and unnecessary. And that's exactly what I did. I, I bought the Samsung KS8500 65-inch uh, 4K HDR television, which has some of the highest peak brightnesses available in its price range. And I bought the comparably priced Vizio M70D3 4K HDR television, which has much lower peak brightness levels, but it has a full array backlight LED settings. So it has zones that are set to turn on or off the LEDs, which increases the contrast ratio by a factor of 10. I mean, if you've never seen a fall display television, which is a full array LED backlit television, you really can't understand how much of an impact it really makes. And when it comes to HDR content, it really helps that HDR content pop, even though the peak brightness levels for the television are not as high as something like the Samsung. So these are some of the sacrifices that I was able to make to get the TV in the size that I wanted without overspending. So continuing on with that same thought process when we're talking about HDR televisions and how it pertains to you know, being able to buy a television that fits the needs that you have without, without maybe buying a TV that was more expensive and had features that you, you really couldn't take advantage of or appreciate. Uh, the, the thought that I had when I was purchasing my Vizio was that you know, the, the HDR experience that I was able to get once I got it in my house and calibrated it and then compared it to the Samsung which was you know, five inches smaller, I, I came to realize that you know, the size really was something that was going to bother me and the fact that the 4K image of the Vizio looked fantastic. And when you combine that with a lot of the HDR content that I was able to, to try out, both from the PS4 Pro, the Xbox One S, and from you know, places like Netflix and the shows that they have that are you know, built around the Dolby Vision standard of HDR, yeah, I, I saw the difference. I saw that there was a true, a true HDR effect that was visibly noticeable on the both panels, but but on specifically on the Vizio, and that was enough for me. You know, now could you argue that maybe the HDR effect was a little bit more pronounced on the Samsung? Sure, the Samsung has a 10-bit panel with 10-bit processing, and it has that full wide color gamut to go along with its peak brightness levels, and it does make a difference. However, you can do some more research and find that there are little things happening within the Vizio to compensate. So the Vizio is a 10-bit panel as well, but apparently it's only doing 8-bit processing, but it's using something called frame rate control to compensate for the dithering that you might see without having access to that wide color gamut processing. And, you know, without getting too far off in the weeds in this in this particular episode, we can, you know, do a whole other show talking about display technologies, but it basically does the equivalent of upscaling for resolution, um, but for HDR. So it kind of fills in the gaps that you might have in not being able to have that full wide color gamut processed. And it processes certain colors in certain frames and then alternates back and forth. It basically creates an image that's pretty hard for the human eye to tell the difference between a 10-bit panel that has wide color gamut and, and one that doesn't. So all things considered, 
I got the TV that I wanted because I got a 70 inch screen that has HDR capabilities and, and can display 4K content. And it means that I got a TV that really needed to be 4K because here I am sitting 12 feet away from a 70 inch screen. So I'm kind of pushing the boundaries between sitting almost too close to a screen of that size where, where I probably would be able to actually notice the difference if I had say a 70 inch TV that was only 1080p. So this is kind of the approach that I use for just about everything. And in the rest of this episode, we're gonna go ahead and look at some of the latest tech headlines that have been permeating the web and kind of apply some of that same thinking and logic to deciphering some of what's being told in these articles. And we're gonna kind of take a look and see what some of the reasons you might want to pay attention to certain specs and why you might want to kind of temper your enthusiasm about other product announcements or other news headlines in the tech world. So let's go ahead and take a look at a few of those in this next segment. Let's go ahead and kick off this next segment with one of my favorite topics and subjects, which is of course, smartphones. And obviously we are all obsessed with having the latest, greatest smartphones with the coolest, newest features, the nicest looking displays, so on and so forth. And obviously the Samsung Galaxy S8 is already out on the shelves, so that really only leaves two more really big heavy hitters in the smartphone market for the rest of this year. And that is of course Apple with the iPhone 8 announcement and also Google with their new Pixel 2 announcement. So obviously those are two of these phones that I'll be the most interested in seeing, testing, and experiencing firsthand. And there's two new leaks uh, came out today about both of these phones. And we'll start with the iPhone first. And there was a new leaked image of what the supposed iPhone 8 is going to look like. Actually, it was two different images. And one of them was a mock-up rendering based on all the data that we have so far. And it looks pretty gorgeous. Uh, you know, I kind of questioned the whole round curved edge-to-edge -edge display of the Galaxy S8 with the rounded corners, but the more I see that phone and other phones now that are coming out to mimic that sort of technology and that, uh, that idea of an edge-to-edge -edge display with rounded edges all the way around the corners, it really does look awesome. And the one rendering of the new iPhone has it with the top bezel that has the little uh, camera sensor, light sensor camera and the earpiece. Really, really small, really thin, just at the very top edge of the phone. And the display is kind of molded around that. And it looks absolutely fantastic. And of course, this rendering also is going on the assumption that Apple did or will figure out how to get the fingerprint reader embedded underneath an OLED display, which apparently they're having a ton of problems making that happen. So when you look at this leak and you see this sort of edge to edge screen, you think about Apple eliminating the, the home button with the fingerprint sensor or at least hiding it underneath the display. And you think of probably all of the new crazy specs that this phone will probably have. Who knows what they're gonna do in terms of megapixels and with the uh, rear camera, who knows what they're gonna do in terms of obviously some kind of pump bump up in the new processor specifications and maybe increase the RAM a little bit. And I think that the iPhone 8 is gonna be a pretty compelling upgrade, especially if you didn't upgrade to an iPhone 7 or 7 Plus. Now, if you did, and you're someone like me who upgrades almost every year, then as long as you can get a decent amount of money out of your iPhone 7 or 7 Plus, then it's definitely worth 
looking into upgrading to the iPhone 8, or, or I'm assuming it will be. Now, obviously, this is still a few months away, and we could end up being greatly disappointed. Apple could end up having to put the, fingers, the fingerprint sensor around the backside of the phone, copying what other manufacturers have done. And to me, that would be a really big blow, because it would show that Apple is really struggling with that innovation piece that they were known for, and they're already getting a lot of criticism for that as it is. So that would be a pretty big, uh, pretty big blow to Apple to not be able to get that accomplished and there's also a rumor going around that they may just completely forego fingerprint sensing and go right to facial recognition as the only way to unlock the phone again if they can make it work better than everybody else has been able to in the past then great but based on the facial recognition you know software and and unlock screens that i've seen on other devices i think this would be a nightmare and it might even be enough to keep me from wanting to upgrade to an iphone 8 so you know obviously there's still a lot of leaks going around about whether or not these different parts of the phone are going to come together and really be an innovative product or who knows what which ones of them turn out to be true and which ones turn out to not be true but there was another leaked image though that showed the front of the new supposed iphone 8 with a white bezel and it was much much bigger the little indented piece at the top where they were going to embed the front-facing camera, the sensor, and the earpiece was much larger than in the, the, the rendering that had showed it with a black bezel. And it looks terrible. I really don't think that Apple would do this. I think if they do end up having to include that sort of little lipped bevel at the top by the earpiece, I think they will only keep the bezels in black. I don't think even on the other colored phones that the bezel would look uh, would make any sense to be in white. It, it just looks terrible. And if, if you find those those images online, you can probably just do a search for, um, I believe it was BGR, uh, Boy Genius Report, I think had the, the images that I was looking at. It was not good. So hopefully the top image on that leak would be the one that it ends up being the real iPhone. So, so that's the iPhone leak. Uh, in the next segment, we're gonna take a look at some of the rumors for the Pixel 2. Continuing on from where we left off in the last segment, the same report or the same website, uh, Boy Genius Report, actually had a report on the new leaks behind the Pixel 2. And a lot of the same thoughts that I had seem to be expressed in terms of the iPhone 8 leak. And that is the fact that the, the black version looked fantastic, the white version looked terrible. And if any of those leaks turned out to be true, then it seems as though the Pixel 2 could end up being the best looking phone of 2017. The the Pixel 2 to me looks incredible. If you haven't seen any of the leaks for what the most recent sort of renderings of what people say the Pixel 2 XL is going to look like, it looks absolutely incredible. I think that it's it's very close to what the original pixel design looked like although with a taller aspect ratio and you know they're moving to you know a little bit of a smaller back glass piece instead of uh, being almost half of the back of the phone so that means the fingerprint sensor now is below where the glass section on the back of the pixel is and there's also a very large looking uh, rear camera sensor i don't know if it's just the opening is bigger you can't really tell from the images on whether or not that is indeed some type of new fancy camera tech that they're going to be incorporating but it really does look uh, fantastic you know, the phone looks really really good and i think it's going to be good regardless of what color you get it in if it's available in white or black but the the fact is is that the pixel 2xl specifically is shaping up to be one of those phones that uh, could really 
really give the iPhone 8 a run for its money, especially when you take into account that there are some people that are just diehard Android fans and probably wouldn't care less about the iPhone 8 anyway. Now, the camera on the Pixel XL2 is still kind of in dispute. You know, there's there's a couple of different rendered images of it, one where it's a little bit larger in the center, one where it has a sort of a dual pixel, or I'm sorry, a dual camera sensor similar to the iPhone 7 Plus. It really, it's, it's too early to tell, I think. We're looking at probably October before the Pixel 2 becomes a reality. But some of the things that you might want to care about in terms of figuring out the reasons why you might want an iPhone 8 over a Pixel XL or vice versa would probably be how good the quality of the pictures uh, are on either one of or both of these devices. And so if you're someone who's really, really into photography and you really want the best camera you can get, then that might be a big factor in which phone uh, out of these two you might be most interested in. Also, as I mentioned in the previous segment, if Apple forgoes a fingerprint sensor and only has the facial recognition unlock and it's not any better than what's been done in the past by other phone manufacturers, then I might be inclined to go and grab a Pixel 2 XL just so that I could have a dedicated fingerprint unlock on the back of the phone. So that could be a factor for some people as well. Um, it's still too early to tell which one of these phones might have the better display or which aspect ratio makes more sense. I personally still am more inclined to like the aspect ratio of the, the iPhones. The, that taller aspect ratio that we're starting to see on some of the new phones for this year is a little bit confusing to me. I'm not sure if I like it or, or don't like it. And, you know, I think I'd have to have more time spent with a phone like the Pixel 2 XL if it actually ends up being the way it looks in renders to really know if it's if it's something that I could deal with. But those are just a couple of the things that might be things to consider. When you start getting into specifications and we start talking about how fast the processors might be, how many cores, the quad core, six core, eight core, um, when you start looking at RAM and all these other factors, that's one of those trap things that I would try to avoid because the iPhone in any of its last three or four iterations has been incredibly fast, incredibly stable, you know, really never any issues with slowdown. There's really no reason to think. And, and I could say the same thing for the, the Google Pixel and any of the top tier Android phones before it. There's really no reason to be obsessed anymore about these specs. These phones are far exceeding any power necessary to run these mobile operating systems at this point. And I think that, you know, we're starting to get into a cooling period where those things don't make as big of a difference as they did, you know, three, four or five years ago. So don't fall into the trap with being uh, hunting down, you know, pixel peeping uh, resolutions or, you know, anything to do with megahertz or RAM numbers. I think that they're all at this point going to be plenty powerful enough to keep things running nice and smooth. So I wouldn't worry too much about that when you're trying to pick your, your next phone.